Welcome to the 44th episode of Season 2 of the Indotechno Podcast. Salamat datang semuanya. I'm Alan Hellowell, founder of tech consultancy Gizmo Advisors. Now, one of the most fascinating trends to have arisen across the broader e-commerce landscape globally over the past one to two years has been the rise of companies devoted to buying up and scaling scores of third-party merchants that are selling on the world's larger e-commerce platforms, such as Amazon.com. The thesis is that these acquiring teams that are usually comprised of experts in financial engineering, e-commerce operations, marketing, and other areas, in acquiring these merchants can easily improve aspects of these merchants' businesses, such as more efficient sourcing for products, solutions to supply chain challenges, introduction to new markets, improvement of digital marketing efficiencies, and they can undertake other activities to significantly increase the value of these businesses. We are extremely pleased to have one of Indonesia's pioneers in this quote-unquote brand aggregator space, Jeff Uono, founder and CEO of Open Labs. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Jeff. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me on the pod. You're very welcome. Now, Jeff, I've known you for quite a while. You worked in Indonesian e-commerce before, having led apparel-focused platform Sorabel. What were your biggest learnings from that era? I was CEO of Sorabel, and over the four years, we solved every operational challenge you can imagine, from product quality, design, pricing, digital marketing, brand building, logistics, you name it, we've done it, and we've solved it. And that experience really opened my eyes as to how different it is, the skill set from growing a company to managing a big company. And we realized that founders of small businesses everywhere, they will face the same difficulties that we faced as we grew and would probably struggle even more because of limited resources. So that gave us an idea of, hey, we've been there, done that. Let's use this skill set, this experience, and help other small businesses scale their operations to become big businesses. Got you. So that background absolutely explains a lot, but maybe a little more as to what led you to create a venture focused on brand aggregation in Indonesia. The, the funny thing is that I actually thought of doing this way back in 2017. So when we were building out Sorabel and we were building out all these amazing mini platforms, our thought was, hey, we should open this up for other brands to be able to utilize. And to a degree, we did do that in terms of opening up our logistics for other companies like Akulaku, Tokopedia to become customers, our private label supply chain for Ramayana and Matahari to become customers. But we thought about also acquiring fashion brands as a way to add gross profit to our existing operations. But back in 2017, the market just wasn't ready. We talked to 30 brands during that year. And we concluded that this market just wasn't ready for a brand aggregator type of model. That's different now. There's a solid seven, eight years. And there are many, many more brands that are mature enough and ready where I think the brand aggregator model can work. So it's really just a matter of timing. One of the things that we're really proud of is how founder-centric we are at Open Labs. I'll give you one example. For other brand aggregators, the process might be a little bit long. But for us, we have this SLA. Once we've met with a founder and once we've received their information, within one week, we will provide a yes or a no. And if it's a yes, a signed letter of intent. 
Why do we do this? Because I've done a lot of fundraising in the past. And one of the most frustrating things is to talk to an investor, give him or her tons and tons of data, and then months go by and then nothing happens. You just feel like it's a colossal waste of time. So now that I'm on the other side, the promise that we make to founders is one week is all it takes. Within one week of receiving your information, you will know whether we're serious about you or not. And if we're serious, you will receive a signed letter of intent. So that's something that's very different about us compared to other brand aggregators, local brand aggregators. And it's an example of how founder-centric we are. So clearly speed is absolutely of the essence in the case of Open Labs. So Jeff, can you share with our audience any sense of scale of the Indonesian e-commerce market? How many merchants there are? What is the average gross merchandise value or GMV per merchant? Any other useful facts and figures that you can share? Sure. They say that there are 74 million merchants in Indonesia, and 14 million of them have gone online to sell products online. That's a lot. It depends on which study you look at, but it's anywhere from 30 to 40 billion GMV for 2020 or 2021. And that's expected to grow to about 80, 90 billion by 2025. I've actually seen some studies that are even more aggressive. But as you can see, it's a very sizable market and it's expected to grow very quickly over the next few years. And that's also one of the reasons why a brand aggregator model works, because the rationale being if the market's going well and you invest in the market, you should at the very minimum be able to ride that wave. And if you can truly help companies do well, good companies, then you should be able to outperform the market. So Jeff, many of the globally known players in this brand aggregation space seem to be exclusively focused on merchants on the Amazon.com platform. Why is that? That's right. It makes a lot of sense because Amazon is a dominant marketplace in the US. And so if you focus on one marketplace, it's easier to copy paste what you do from brand to brand because you're working with the same marketplace. So that's a benefit that brand aggregators out in the US get to enjoy. But the situation is very different in Indonesia. We don't have one dominant marketplace. There are several. There's Shopee, Bukalapa, Tokopedia, Lazada. So unfortunately, if you're in Indonesia, you can't just focus on one marketplace. You have to be able to cover multiple marketplaces. Understood. So let's spend a little more time on the differences between what we see ex-Indonesia and what you're doing within Indonesia. Specifically, for those of our audience that might be familiar with Thrasio, Perch, Berlin Brands, or others in the West, what are the starkest differences between these models and how Open Labs operates in Indonesia? One of the biggest differences is out in the West, a lot of the brand aggregators prefer to acquire a business uh, 100% outright. And whether the founder stays or not is sort of a second order question. But in Indonesia, I don't think this would work because most of the founders in Indo, they see building this company as part of their identity. So they're not really looking to sell for money. They're more about looking for a partner that they believe will dramatically help raise the probability of success. And that's something that we found. Obviously, I'm generalizing. There are founders of successful businesses that are happy to sell 100%. But we found in my experience that there are more founders who are looking for operating partners and less so for capital. So here at Open Labs, both a 100% option, but also a 51% and everything in between option. 
where we become partners with the founder and we work together to build the business. Understood. That definitely does not seem to be a nuance. Full acquisition versus partnering are very different scenarios. Now, Jeff, when thinking of targets, what is Open Lab's sweet spot in terms of annual GMV or gross merchandise value? That's something, Alan, that we're going to discover along the way. We don't really have a strong point of view, but so far we have talked to brands on a very big range, as small as a few hundred thousand dollars a year of revenue to as big as tens of millions of dollars. And the great thing about our fund, we have a hundred million dollar war chest. We're the biggest in Southeast Asia. The benefit of that war chest is that we can partner with companies all across that spectrum and then try to figure out, is there such a thing as an optimal size or a size not as meaningful compared to the growth of the business, the margins, the founder's capabilities, et cetera, et cetera. So that's something that we're looking to discover. Now, Jeff, what are your favorite verticals to focus on and why do you find them preferable? One way that we're also quite different from some of our local brand aggregator peers is that we purposely want to be diversified, not specialized. We don't say that we're a brand aggregator focused on fashion or mom and baby. We're diversified. And there's a couple of reasons for this. The first is that specialization can bring conflicts of interest. So if you're a founder and you created a baby fashion company, and then you agreed to sell to a brand aggregator half your business, and then the brand aggregator also invests in your competitor, it's awkward. It's not something that founders enjoy. So we're very founder-centric. Specialization bringing conflicts of interest makes us uncomfortable. As much as possible, we want to avoid these types of conflicts of interest. The other thing about diversification is that it means you're betting on the market. You're not betting on knowing something the market doesn't know. You're not betting on outknowing the market. You're betting on the market. And that's something that if you look at venture capital, you look at investing, diversification, it'll result in a higher than expected return and a lower volatility on returns. So we're big believers in diversity. Now, the other thing about diversity, though, is that you need a big war chest to make it work. So if you only have $10 million, you can't really be diverse. You almost have to be specialized by necessity. So that's the other advantage of having a $100 million war chest. One of the big benefits is that it enables us to invest in multiple categories. Now, Jeff, we discussed creating a quote-unquote amazing community of founders, talents, and small businesses. And you have indeed mentioned earlier in the podcast that founders remain an important part of what we do post-investment. Tell me more about how this community will look like at Open Labs. If you think about what brand aggregators really do, you could distill it into two parts. One is finding good companies and investing in these good companies. And the second part is about helping these companies grow. The second part is not just lip service. The majority of our team are operating people whose job is to help these companies solve their problems. I'll give you a really common example. Every e-commerce seller needs a warehouse. They need a place to store their goods from where they can then sell it. For a lot of e-commerce sellers in Indonesia, that warehouse is often their own house, their own residential house. And these are often quite small houses. So if you visit some of these brands, their house will be full of boxes, boxes everywhere. You can't see the wall. You can't see the floor, boxes everywhere. And this is fine when you're small because it's free, it's cheap, it's easy. 
But at some point, your business will outgrow the house. Some of the founders that we talk to, they have trouble finding the right product. Like, which box did I put this in? Stuff goes missing. There's leakage. Fulfillment type stuff starts to fall. And then soon they get assessed penalty points. And then revenue starts to drop. That's a real problem. How do I build a proper warehouse for my business? And that's something that a lot of founders struggle with. So what we have at Open Labs is we have a warehouse team ready to go. So if a founder has issues with their warehouse and they want to move into a more proper warehouse, our warehouse team is ready to go and help them in that transition, whether that's working with an e-commerce enabler, whether that's working with a warehouse specialist provider, or whether that's just building a warehouse specifically for that brand. There's multiple solutions. Our team has the experience and the knowledge to make that transition successful. So that's a kind of example of the help that we provide. And that's the community that we want to build. We want to build this community of experts, people who know their stuff really, really well and can lend that expertise and experience to brand owners who need that help. So Jeff, do you generally find that target merchants only operate on one e-commerce platform in Indonesia? Or do they operate across multiple platforms such as Shopee, Tokopedia, Bukalapak, Lazada, Blibli, etc.? Certainly the latter. In fact, one of the common growth plans for some of these brands is to start off on one channel. And then once they've found success, they will then open a store in another marketplace and then another marketplace and so on. But I don't even think it should just be limited to marketplaces because the online selling business in Indonesia is still rapidly developing. For example, live commerce, selling things over video while streaming, that's becoming a big thing in Indonesia. So you can't just look at the biggest marketplaces and then not look at live commerce. There's also social commerce, utilizing people to market your goods. There's chat commerce. How do you utilize WhatsApp in order to sell? So you can't just look at those traditionally defined marketplaces. You have to also look at all these other emerging e-commerce channels. So our attention is quite wide. And that's something that we want to help our brands figure out how to best use these channels. Point well taken. Clearly, the e-commerce landscape spreads far beyond the purpose-built marketplaces alone. Now, Jeff, we talk about adding value in areas such as digital marketing, marketplace, a merchant's branding, their content, logistics, supply chain, retail, customer service, cross-selling, data, talent, finance, legal, and taxes. What have been the biggest areas of value add that we have brought to our brands most commonly so far? Every brand is different in their needs, but there are some emerging common areas. If I had to name a top three, I would say branding for sure. Branding is one of those things that everybody knows is important, but nobody really actively works on it because they're just so focused on getting the next 100 orders shipped out. Founders don't spend enough time thinking about branding. So we have people from Ogilvy, Dentsu, BBDO, these amazing creative agencies that are experts in branding. They're there to help our founders develop an amazing branding strategy. I would say branding for sure. Digital marketing would be the other one. A lot of the companies that we talk to, they don't even have a digital marketing team. A company might have 15, 20 people, and they don't have a digital marketing person. So a lot of the digital ads are managed in a very ad hoc manual way. 
And obviously, you can do a lot better. If you understand how to use systems and tools, you can much more efficiently scale up your digital marketing. So again, we have teams whose entire background is digital marketing. They're there ready to run digital marketing for some of our brands. In several instances, our digital marketing team is their digital marketing team. And this makes sense because one digital marketing team can support 10, 20, 30 brands. But if you're just one brand, it doesn't make sense to recruit a digital marketing team. You're almost too small. And I think the third one I would call compliance. This was a bit surprising. Things like accounting, taxes, permits, licenses, all these kinds of things. It's just something that most founders don't really worry about too much because they're so focused on just building the business, finding customers, making customers happy, all that back office stuff. For them, it's like, I'll worry about it later. And that's something that we can help out on because that's something that founders don't pay enough attention to. But as you become bigger, these things become absolutely critical. So we have legal accounting teams who every time we acquire a company, that team basically sits down with a founder and then tries to determine all the things that we need to get in order for that brand to be considered proper. So branding, digital marketing, compliance, those are the three very common areas of help. I can see some really material benefits emerging from Open Labs' work with its merchants in these three areas. All of them are pretty mission critical. Now, Jeff, do we envision bringing together our ever-widening group of acquisitions and investments into a common platform ourselves? Or will we work with each merchant discreetly? Will customers, for instance, visit an Open Labs mall sometime in the future? Open Labs mall. <laughs> I like the sign of that. Though I don't think we want to build Open Labs to be a consumer brand. But to answer your question, our priority is to help each brand. And where common solutions arise, then we can build those. We don't want to be in the mode of grand plans. We want to have a warehouse in every city in Indonesia. We don't really want to build towards that. Those kinds of grandiose visions tend to be very capital inefficient and sometimes ignores the brand that's sitting right there that needs your help right now in the thing that they need help on. So our approach is let's help each brand the best that we can. And as we help more and more brands, inevitably, there will arise common solutions. And once it makes sense to build those common solutions, then we will do so. Again, this is one of the reasons why having a big war chest, $100 million, is very helpful because it gives you the ability and the flexibility to make these kinds of decisions. Maybe if you're a smaller fund, you're very, very focused on producing returns on your fund. So you're much more limited. Your outlook might be a little bit more short-term versus long-term. Our mindset is much more long-term. Understood. Jeff, what are going to be the biggest challenges in growing Open Labs over the next year or two? Currently, our main bottleneck is recruiting. So the money is in. We're finding great companies. Great companies love us. They love what we stand for. This combination of best-in-class operating teams, plenty of financing to partner them with every stage of growth. They love that. But recruiting has been a big bottleneck because we only want to recruit the best. We want to recruit the best talent. But the issue is so does everybody else. <laughs> so recruiting is very, very competitive. That's the biggest bottleneck right now. And I foresee that being a very big bottleneck over the next year or two. Nevertheless, we've already been able to assemble a formidable team. Really proud of, of all the talent that we've been able to recruit. I just need to 5 exit, 10 exit over the next year or two. 
So Jeff, assuming that we grow rapidly, are there any measurable economies of scale that we're hoping to achieve? Do we want to drive down sales and marketing to GMB from X percent to Y percent? Do we want to improve digital advertising ROI amongst merchants, cut delivery time, any kind of measurable goals that you have? All of the above, Alan. If you look at our dashboards, we have a lot of KPIs that we look at, and they're all important in their own way. On a Open Labs higher level, perhaps the one that I look at the most is brand awareness for Open Labs. If we could have our own way, we would want all 14 million merchants selling online to be part of the Open Labs portfolio. So, how do you build a brand where founders think of you when they're thinking about either selling their business or looking for an operating partner? We want founders to be thinking it's Open Labs. Open Labs is the best, and they're the best choice for me. And then there's a whole bunch of things that have to happen in order for that brand equity to be built. We actually have to deliver on our promises. We have to have enough happy founders who are spreading the gospel. There's a lot of work that's needed in order to be able to build that level of brand awareness and consideration. So out of all the millions of metrics that we would look at, that's probably the high level one that I would be looking at most closely over the next year or two. Understood. On the topic of work, what are our major planned 2022 milestones for Open Labs? Brand awareness would be one of those. How well can we deploy our 100 million? How well were we able to help companies grow, not just in terms of revenue, but also in terms of profit? We don't believe in burning money for market share. One of the big differences between a brand aggregator and a VC is that a VC looks for disruptive companies. Tech startups that have exponential potential can become a unicorn, probably a platform play with network effects. That's the typical VC investment. So in that model, it makes a lot of sense to burn money in order to grow because becoming the first is important. Being the leader is important. But for brand aggregators in the e-commerce space, e-commerce sellers are not necessarily disruptive. They're often from very traditional businesses where you need products, you need warehousing, you need to deliver the product to a customer. There are product returns to worry about. A very traditional business, the only difference being it sells online. So for brand aggregators, you can't follow the model of burning money to get market share. That doesn't make any sense. For us, helping companies grow sustainably, generate positive cash flow is important. So drawing that question out a little further, what is our ultimate end game here? What will Open Labs look like in, say, five years' time? And as a result of our work, how will the face of Indonesian e-commerce have changed by that time? I really hope five years from now, Open Labs would have had developed the Indonesia e-commerce version of Apple or Tesla or Google. Obviously not in terms of selling phones or cars or search but more in the level of recognition and love for those brands. We want to create the next generation of household brands in Indonesia, the brands that people grow up with, that become indispensable to their way of life. We want to say five years from now, hey, Open Labs helped build these brands. So if we can accomplish that, I would be very, very proud. Absolutely. Well, really fascinating to hear of Open Lab's story of introducing this entirely new paradigm of brand aggregation to Indonesia. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how the company's success indeed impacts the face of Indonesian e-commerce going forward. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Jeff. My pleasure, Alan. 
We hope our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Indotechno podcast with us. Terima kasih telah mendengarkan. Sampai jumpa lagi. Bye.